Chapter 39, Pants on Fire. Nick slipped the paper into her pocket and pretended not to notice Tiago's stare. The only thing she could do, besides asking him if he was a liar, was compare handwriting, but she refused to believe he would do anything like that. By checking his handwriting, she would only be confirming what she already knew. Before setting off for home, Nick stopped by Ms. Winkle's classroom to ask about Brian. The teacher didn't have much else to add regarding her hospital experience, but said she wouldn't be surprised if Brian had invented some story to avoid consequences or impress Sarah. Although, it was hard to tell whether Ms. Winkle was actually taking the conversation seriously, since she kept staring at Nick's face with a poorly concealed grimace. At least she didn't ask who'd been beating on her this time. On the walk home, Jordan once again peed on the rotting stump, and Nick's pretended not to be disgusted with his boyness. It wasn't that she was fond of carpenter ants, but nothing deserved to drown in poorly hydrated guy urine. Let's hear it, Jordan said after he'd dusted his hands clean. How did you do all that crazy crap at Sarah's? Wasn't me, Nick said. It was my new spirit friend. Jordan stopped walking. Wait, you saw a real ghost? Like someone who'd already died? It didn't sound like he'd ever been alive. He called himself Belly. That's a stupid name for a ghost. That's a stupid name for anything. Nix patted her stomach. No offense, Tummy. Jordan didn't appreciate her humor. He was too caught up in Nix's revelation that she'd legitimately communed with the unseen. He's the one who made the ginormous spider? What did the guy look like? Was he trying to kill us? Did you have to fight him? He was trying to teach me how to spook, Nick said. Mostly he was just having fun scaring you. Nix didn't want to mention how she'd willingly donated some of her life force to Belly. It had been idiotic of her, and she didn't want Jordan to think her naive. Jordan sashayed alongside Nix. Where did Belly even come from? He was just kind of hanging around Sarah's house. Like the Hogwarts ghosts? Jordan asked. Although, they can't really turn the floor into pudding. We should sneak into McGuckin's house and steal that tape. Really, Nick said with a smirk. One taste of breaking and entering, and you can't stop. You think he'll send it to the government? By the way, Nick said, something I didn't tell you about my superpowers. Jordan's eyes went wide. There's more? Can you make someone age by touching them? No. In fact, if I try to pass inside another person's body, I get electrocuted. You shocked the heck out of me at the hospital. When? A little before I came back. In fact, I think it was me that short-circuited the power. What? You know what's weird? I had a serious case of deja vu right before the power went off. The trailer park came into view. Walk slower, Nick said. If I'm home too late, I'll get another day tacked onto my sentence. Nick grabbed Jordan's elbow and slowed to a senior citizen with a recent hip replacement pace. You can jog home after I tell you about my other powers. Jordan's mouth fell open. Just how many magic powers do you have? Nix grinned. Let's see, besides speaking directly to people's thoughts and shorting out electric stuff, I can lower the temperature super fast, create fog, and carry small objects, or fling them, depending. Last night I ripped the scissors out of Fawn's hands. Thought she was going to stab. Nix paused. She didn't like the placating look on Jordan's face like he was humoring her. Also, I did the foggy cold thing at the hospital, she said in a more business-like tone. 
There was literally frost on the windows, and I'm pretty sure I restarted my heart with my... She trailed off again. You don't believe me. I don't not believe you, he said with an apologetic grimace. But you said yourself everything was crazy at the hospital. You are the one who said that. I was perfectly coherent. It's just that, Jordan sighed. I don't think you're lying, but my brain literally is shouting, you're an idiot if you believe that crap. Tell your brain he's the idiot. My brain is well above average intelligence, and he knows it. Nick stopped before entering the trailer park, as if stepping over the threshold would turn her into a gourd. I can show you, maybe after the dance, or tomorrow morning. Jordan nodded and smiled, but it felt patronizing. You can wowza me at some point, but let's give it a few days. I don't want your brain cells to decide they've had enough and go on strike. My brain cells are above average in work ethic, and they know it. Aw, Jordan said. You have Hufflepuff brain cells. On the short route through the trailers, Nix planned what she was going to wear to the dance and how long she could stay and still be back by 9.30. But when she got home and saw the display in the kitchen, her plans hit a snag, or more of a disembowelment, really. The table held three items, an empty packet of sleeping pills, an empty bottle of apple-scented hair remover, and a half-full bottle of slightly apple-scented shampoo. Mrs. Wax stood beside the table, lips pressed together so tightly they were white. Her face, on the other hand, was clean of makeup and as red as Nix's proverbial hands. Yet Mrs. Wax said nothing. Nix figured, as long as she had the opportunity to explain herself, she might as well start with the least momentous of her lies and her motivation for all the others. I'm sorry I didn't tell you. Mr. Dibble fired me a month ago. There it was. No more lying about work. Oddly, Nix felt exhilarated. So you've been working for free? Was her mom really that oblivious? I haven't been going to work. I've been doing other things. Mrs. Wack grew very still. Nix could feel her mother's fury like heat from glowing coals. What things? Nix couldn't believe it. Her mother was actually attempting to converse instead of screaming and lecturing. Maybe there was a chance Mercy would prevail and Nix could stay in the musical. At first, hanging out with Jordan? But then we tried out for a play, and I couldn't believe when we both got parts, so I was hoping that maybe, since I don't have to feed the cats anymore, if I... Unbelievable, you little beast! I trusted you to be at work, and you're off playing dress-up with the devil knows who! I've never seen a more irresponsible, ungrateful, devious little brat! A month? A whole month you've been lying to me after all I've done for you! What kind of a monster have I raised? She took a breath and calmed slightly. Then she pushed the empty pillbox and both bottles toward Nick's. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me this is not what I think it is. Nix picked up the pillbox as if it meant nothing. Why were you going through my things? I was looking for the cat brush. When I found the empty medication packet in your trash, I had a look around. Nick stared down at the two bottles and swallowed. She wanted to tell her mother why she'd been driven to such extremes, but she knew Mrs. Wack was not interested in her motivation. She was simply waiting for verification that her daughter was the actual spawn of Satan. The cats weren't sick. Mrs. Wack leaned forward. The table creaked. What did you say? I couldn't pay for the cats anymore, and I was too scared to tell you, so I... She couldn't finish. Her throat froze up so tight she could barely breathe. Ew. 
Mrs. Wax said slowly. It was you who called the neighbors and let the bat into your room and bathed the cats in hair remover and fed them sleeping pills so you'd think they were dead. Mrs. Wax's mouth moved like a suffocating trout. Impossible, she whispered. There's no way you could have... Was she dealing with her shock or working up a murderous rage? Nix couldn't tell. Had her mother really not figured it all out from the pillbox and bottles? When you wouldn't let the cats go, I put the rest of it in your shampoo. Mrs. Wax's shaky hand moved to her turban. Then her eyes filled with tears. They streamed down her cheeks and disappeared into one of her chins. Nix had never seen her mother cry. It was worse than seeing Jordan get kicked in the face. It was worse than getting fired. It was even worse than being humiliated at the Abendroth mansion or getting kicked in the face by Fawn. Nix longed for a meteor to fall out of the sky and obliterate any evidence she'd existed. I'm sorry. It was barely more than a squeak, but it seemed to spur Mrs. Wack into action. Calmly and deliberately, she walked to her room and shut the door. She didn't even slam it. Nix followed her and sat in the hallway in front of the door. She wanted to cry, but the tears wouldn't come. Instead, she stared at the urine-soaked wallpaper. The smell was twice as bad so close to the carpet, but she didn't have the will to get up. The difference between Sarah's gorgeous white carpet and the trailer's matted jungle of filth seemed symbolic of Nix's morality and her worth as a daughter. She spent most of the night in the hall, occasionally drifting into an uneasy sleep and snapping awake with every imagined sound. Her mother never came out of her room. At two in the morning, Nix finally went off to bed. Nix awoke Saturday, half expecting Mrs. Wack to appear and begin the normal morning lecture, but her mother's door stayed closed. The only indication that Mrs. Wack still lived was the occasional clunking of drawers coming from her room. Twice, Nix knocked and mumbled apologies into the crack. She received no response. So her mother wasn't speaking to her. In any other situation, Nix would have been ecstatic. Yet all she could manage was a sense of inevitability paired with a much stronger helping of guilt and self-loathing. Maybe her mother simply needed time to herself to deal with the knowledge that her only child was a horrible person. The day didn't get any better. Jordan's family made a last-minute trip to Kentucky to visit his grandparents on his mom's side. On a positive note, Sarah was spending Saturday and Sunday with her mom in Midland, so there was no need to set up a surveillance schedule. Nix wondered if Mr. Hainsworth had called a priest or something to rid his home of evil spirits. Then again, Mr. Hainsworth seemed like more of a bury-the-incident-and-pretend-it-didn't-happen type of guy. Nix spent most of Saturday deep-cleaning the trailer out of crippling guilt. By bedtime, Mrs. Wax still hadn't left her room, at least not that Nix had seen. Did the woman have a hidden stash of food in there? Sunday, the EBT money showed up on the card, so Nix went shopping. She had no idea what to buy— Mrs. Wack usually persuaded one of the neighbors to drive her to the market every month when the money came in. Nix felt too ashamed to buy anything she really wanted, so she filled her cart with eggs, skim milk, wheat bread, frozen vegetables, and tuna. Except when she put the tuna in the cart, she burst into tears and couldn't seem to get a hold of herself. She left the cart where it was, in the aisle, and spent the rest of the day in the graveyard. When Nix awoke on Monday, something felt off. After sitting up in bed and clearing the cobwebs from her mind, she realized her walls were too bright, lit by a late morning sun. What time was it? Since the only working clock in the house was on the microwave, Nix half-jogged into the kitchen. It was past nine. She'd missed the bus nearly two hours ago. 
Was her mother trying to get back at Nick's by making her late for school? It wasn't much of a punishment. Nick's had a leisurely breakfast of crackers with Tabasco sauce, then walked to school. When Jordan asked her about her tardiness, she blamed a dentist appointment. She wasn't ready to unload her guilt on anyone. How was KY? Nix asked. B.O. Body odor? B.O. ring. Your genius brain is really exerting himself. He's getting me back for making him look at Grand's birdhouse slideshows. She has more than one birdhouse slideshow? Nix, you don't even know. Even my dad regretted the weekend trip. Nix grinned. Jordan was always good for pulling her out of her patty-induced slump. School also proved a great distraction. The whole student body was abuzz with talk of the musical casting. When word got around that Tiago Padilla would be at rehearsals, Nix heard more than one girl lament not having auditioned. And Fawn already had a dozen boys promising to attend every performance. During third period, an announcement was made over the PA that all cast and crew of the WCHS production were to meet immediately after school the following Monday. Nix was headed to lunch when the art teacher grabbed Nix's arm and pulled her into the empty auditorium lobby. Nix expected a conversation about the importance of the plankton queen, but Mrs. Finkbone surprised her. You're failing in math and English. Nix didn't have a response, so she just stood there, feeling vaguely stupid. I've arranged for a tutor to help you get your grades up. Nix snapped out of her self-pity. Oh, that's okay. I'll have Jordan help me. Jordan has a C in English and a C- minus in math blasted underachiever. I thought you could get acquainted and set up a time to meet. I'll leave it to you. Mrs. Finkbone opened the door and Fawn stepped into the lobby. Oh, heck no. Fawn's eyes locked on Nix. Have fun, Mrs. Finkbone said before she left. Fawn stared at Nix a moment. Should have known you were also a dummy. I don't need a tutor. As if I would even. I hope you get held back so the whole school knows what a moron you are. Kind of like your half-brother? Fawn's sneer disappeared. Half-brother? Nix's heart rate doubled. Brian, he told us about your bratty mom. He also told us some interesting things about you. Fawn scoffed and strode to the door. You really are a complete idiot. You have no idea what you're even talking about. The door slammed shut behind Fawn. Well, that was exceptionally unfulfilling. Fawn hadn't seemed at all bothered that Nix called her mother bratty, did Fawn hate Tess as much as Brian did? Grr. Instead of getting answers, Nix was only unearthing more questions. She related the strange interaction to Tiago, Sarah, and Jordan during lunch. It still felt surreal to be eating with the most attractive and popular people in the sophomore class, maybe the entire school. Fawn is probably distracted, Sarah said. She has to have heard by now that my dad is pressing charges against her. What for? Jordan asked. Duh, for breaking into my house. He's also suing Vice Principal McGuckin. Jordan and Nix shared a smile. Tiago looked as if he'd just watched a kitten get run over. Was it guilt at having lured Fawn into Sarah's house? Nix was tempted to pull out the note and confront him right there, but that might not end well. The situation required delicacy. Technically, Tiago said, they didn't break in if the door was open, right? Jordan nodded sagely. It is strange that he'd single Fawn out. What about the rest of us? I invited you, Sarah said, as if it were obvious. Nix lowered her voice. Did your dad say anything about what he saw last night? Sarah sighed. He says he doesn't know what he saw, that he must have been half asleep. Seriously? Nix said. He can't really think. 
He's in denial, Jordan said. Adults are always refusing to accept stuff that disturbs their comfortable reality. Nick shot Jordan a look. Just adults? But McGuckin got it on tape, Tiago said. It would be hard for Mr. Hainsworth to deny what happened, or to press charges against Fawn. Jordan put up a finger. Unless the footage makes people uncomfortable and they decide it's somehow doctored or staged. I'll keep you on breast of the situation, Sarah said. Jordan suppressed a grin. Nix didn't make eye contact for fear they'd both bust up laughing at Sarah's sensual faux pas. Daddy will probably calm down in a couple of weeks and forget the whole thing. Bruce is pretty good at talking him out of suing people. Bruce? Jordan asked with a look of genuine confusion. Her lawyer. Sarah stood with her tray. I've got to meet with some of the other stage crew, see if we can get a head start on the set. After she left, Jordan smiled. For a minute, I thought she was talking about my Bruce. May he rest in peace. What? Tiago said loudly. The bat died. People from nearby tables took notice. Jordan's face flushed. Flames engulfed Nix's forehead. What happened to him? Tiago said, oblivious to the attention he was drawing. You said you let him go. I didn't want you to be mad, Jordan said. I tried to feed it, but it wouldn't eat or drink. I think he died of dehydration. Tiago's eyes grew shiny. Their luminescence almost distracted Nix from her crippling guilt. You should have called me. Nix couldn't believe how hard Tiago was taking this, and poor Jordan had taken the fall for her. She knew she should come clean, but then she'd have to explain about the cats and her abusive home life, and any connection between her and Tiago would be a memory. She tried to send a grateful smile toward Jordan, but he avoided her gaze. He wore the cowed expression typically triggered by his father. We tried our best, Nick said, but it died suddenly. If we would have known... Tiago stood and left the cafeteria. Jordan and Nix stared at his tray, a symbol of their betrayal. I'm sorry, Nick said to Jordan. You shouldn't have to. It's fine. It's just a stupid bat. Nix and Jordan finished eating without comment, both periodically glancing at Tiago's uneaten jello square. Jordan struck first and claimed the dessert, but Nix finished off Tiago's fries. Nix was slapping her and Tiago's trays on the inside of the large cafeteria trash can when something went through her. She nearly dropped both trays into the garbage. You okay? Jordan asked. I felt something. Nix tried to remember the sensation. It was as if someone had grabbed a loose thread from her shirt and pulled. It moved past me. Jordan gave her an incredulous smile. Yeah, it was McGuckin. You probably felt his evil eye. I knew he- Where are you going? Nix followed McGuckin through the hallway and into the lunch detention, where he deposited a tray full of cold pizza slices. Bon appetit. None of the students moved. McGuckin seemed startled when he noticed Nix. What do you want, whack? She hesitated. Getting mixed up with McGuckin was usually a really bad idea, but after seeing him with the camcorder at Sarah's, he didn't seem quite so formidable. And Nix really wanted to know what it was that she had felt. Had McGuckin used some sort of static electricity device on her? Her eyes fell on McGuckin's leather briefcase bag. He'd had it with him in the cafeteria. Why would he bring his bag to get pizza? Perhaps he didn't want anyone to look inside. Nix approached McGuckin's desk. She immediately felt that strange tugging sensation again. Something was pulling her toward McGuckin's bag. What was in there? To Nix's extreme satisfaction, the vice principal's scowl wavered and fear flashed in his eyes. Naturally, he knew she'd been at Sarah's mansion. It was all over the school. Had he figured out why Sarah had invited her friends over at 1 a.m.? Open the bag. Had she really just said that to McGuckin? 
Flip, that felt good. Leave before I assign you a seat in detention. Show me what's inside. If any of the students had been sleeping, they were awake now. Despite the packed room, the only sound was the soft hum of the central heat. Get out, McGuckin said in his typical serial killer voice. But it didn't work this time. Nix had seen the tremble in his hand. Are you afraid of spiders? Nix asked in just above a whisper. McGuckin only glared back. Open the bag or I'll tell Mr. Hainsworth how you intentionally broke his window. McGuckin attempted a nonchalant laugh. It sounded like a drowning squirrel. It was a bird, he said in a barely audible whisper. I have video evidence. Yet your fingerprints are on the glass. McGuckin reached out with his orangutan arms as if to latch onto her, but Nix had already noticed his bag was partly unzipped. Just as McGuckin's hand closed on her right wrist, Nix thrust her left hand into the bag. Immediately she knew what she was looking for and where it was. She slid her fingers into an inside pocket and pulled out a large pair of scissors. Students cried out. McGuckin released Nix's arm and stumbled backward. His hand moved a few inches toward the bandage on his cheek. Nix stared at the dry, flaking blood on the blade and then dropped the scissors onto his desk with a clatter. She wasn't sure what made her say it. Maybe it was the adrenaline pumping through her system, or the incredible feeling of power that filled her as the vice principal cowered in her presence. Play nice with me and my friends, Nick said, or next time you might lose an eye. If the previous rumors about Sarah's haunted mansion spread like wildfire, the recounting of Nix's confrontation with McGuckin hit the student body like a bomb. If Nix hadn't just experienced the incident, she would have dismissed it immediately. The girl who had sassed McGuckin was about as different from Nix as someone could be. Maybe a bit of Belly's bravado had rubbed off on her. To anyone who asked, Jordan explained that Nix's performance had been a ploy to scare McGuckin and keep him from blaming her friends for anything that happened the previous night. Meanwhile, Nix's thoughts were a maelstrom of confusion. Why had McGuckin brought Fawn's scissors to school? How in Lucifer's name did Nix know something was in his bag? Had interacting with the scissors as a ghost somehow bonded them to her? Nix looked forward to discussing it with Jordan, but during seventh period, it began pouring. Nix and Jordan took separate buses home, and her day only got worse from there. Although her mother did come out of her room once to grab a Tylenol bottle from the cabinet, she completely ignored Nix's apologies and pleas for reconciliation. On the walk to the Merry Market, Nix vacillated between cursing her mother's stubbornness and berating herself for being the worst kind of teenager. She filled her cart with foods she knew her mother liked. Maybe that would get her out of her room for more than a few seconds. That dream was crushed when the EBT pen didn't work, despite Nix trying four times. Either her mother had changed the pen without telling her, or Nix was doing something wrong. The manager had the gall to suggest Nix put her groceries back. Nix's response got her put on the not allowed in the store list. Nix kicked over the trash can on the way out, then felt guilty the entire walk home. The frosting on the crap cake was when Jordan called and said he'd be absent from school the next three days because he was going on some sort of boy scouting activity with Tiago and his brothers. Nix fell asleep, mentally reviling the sexist founders of the Boy Scouts of America. The next three days were some of the loneliest she'd endured since summer vacation. The one consolation was that people still talked about her confrontation with McGuckin and a couple asked to hear the story of Tiago bringing her back to life with a kiss. Right after home ec on Friday, Ms. Winkle cornered Nix and asked to drive her home. She wouldn't take no for an answer. 
On the way, Nix attempted small talk. Do you know who Fawn Deshay is? Nix asked on the trip to the trailer park. Ms. Winkle nodded, but she was clearly distracted. Why did Ms. Winkle keep glancing in her rearview mirror? At least she was driving slow enough that Nix didn't feel the need to jump out the window. Brian said he was Fawn's half-brother, Nix said, but when I brought it up, Fawn acted like I was crazy. Ms. Winkle adjusted her rearview mirror. I'd believe Fawn over Brian. As far as I can tell, that boy's a pathological liar. Seriously? Why would Brian lie about being Fawn's brother? Had anything he'd told them been true? When they pulled up in front of Nix's trailer, Ms. Winkle smiled. Good. He's already here. Huh? An Indian man with enormous eyes stepped out of a beat-up gold car and waved to them. Who's that? Nix asked. He's here to meet your mother. What? The three of them trudged through the mud and met at the foot of Nix's front steps. You must be Ms. Winkle, the man said. I'm Vivek Sood. Call me Dee. You're here early. I thought I'd meet a few of the neighbors first. First? Before what? Was Vivek an undercover cop? He turned his focus on Nix. And you're Phoenix Ivy. Nix didn't bother to correct him. She didn't know what this guy was doing at her house, but she didn't plan on getting to know him. I don't think my mom is in any kind of state to accept visitors, Ms. Winkle grimaced. Why did she look so remorseful? Nix, Mr. Sood is a social worker with the Department of Human Services. His job is to make sure children are treated well at home. Seriously? Ms. Winkle had ratted her out to child welfare? I noticed you have a few bruises on your face, Vivek said. Can I ask how you got them? A girl repeatedly kicked me in the face because I wouldn't get out of her truck? Ms. Winkle and Vivek shared a look. How dare they not believe her? Nix, Ms. Winkle said softly. Is it true your mother gives you nothing to eat but baby food? No, Nix said. That was only for like a week. She was trying to help me lose weight. Without even asking Nix, Vivek stepped up to her front door and knocked. No one answered. Guess she's not home, Nix said. Why did Ms. Winkle drag this random guy to come stick his nose into her personal life? It was beyond mortifying. Ms. Winkle laid a hand on Nix's shoulder. Can Vivek take a quick look around inside? He just wants to make sure everything's okay. Everything's fine. Vivek opened a briefcase and took out a lanyard attached to an ID. He also pulled out a pen and notebook. Phoenix, nothing bad is going to happen to you, I promise. I really do need to have a look around your house. If I don't do it today, I'm afraid I'll have to come back later with the police. Oh, heck no. Vivek took off his shoes. He knew he'd won. The tour was awful. And not just the looks of horror, pity, and disgust. Ms. Winkle and the random DHS guy had peeled back her skin and were examining her unsightly internal organs. They took note of the mostly empty cupboards, the cat pee stains and odor, the mattress without a bed frame, broken windows all over the house, shards of glass in Nix's bedroom. She'd meant to clean that up. And finally, they watched Nix knock repeatedly on her mother's locked door with no response. Vivek muttered something about possible drug use. By this point, Nix was so mortified, she couldn't pull her eyes up from the carpet, which she now realized was matted and stained with every kind of cat byproduct possible. Surely Vivek regretted leaving his shoes on the porch. Ms. Winkle and the social worker had a lengthy hushed conversation while Nix made herself a butter sandwich. 
after which Ms. Winkle came at Nix like a veterinarian approaching a cranky crocodile. Nix, can I help you get some of your things together? Nix stared at her. For what? Ms. Winkle glanced at Vivek. He crouched down and adopted a don't-scare-the-five-year-old voice. Phoenix, your neighbors told me about how much your mother shouts at you. They also told me about her discharging a shotgun in the trailer. Ms. Winkle's eyes went wide. Vivek tapped his notebook, as if that proved his case without a doubt. Do you have a way to get a hold of your father? Nick shook her head. You can't stay here, Vivek said in a sickly sweet voice that was probably supposed to be comforting. I'm afraid I'm going to have to place you in foster care, at least until we can verify that your home environment is safe. Foster care? Nix opened her mouth to tell him how ridiculous that was, but was distracted by the tears on Ms. Winkle's face. Wait, this felt very familiar. This had been Nix's dream, to be cared for by Ms. Winkle instead of Patricia Wack. It was exactly like Matilda getting away from her awful family and getting adopted by Miss Honey. Holy mother of cows, this was her happily ever after. Less than five minutes later, Nix sat in the back of Vivek Sood's car, headed toward Honeysant Bridge. Wait, Ms. Winkle didn't live in Midland, did she? Why hadn't Nix simply gone in Ms. Winkle's car? Nix looked out the back window, but she didn't see the VW bug. A black cloud of reality descended on Nix. She wasn't going to live with Ms. Winkle. Where are we going? Nix asked. We'll be there soon. Had she just been kidnapped? Had Vivek tricked Ms. Winkle into thinking he was a child welfare worker? Maybe Vivek was working for Mr. Abendroth. Nick squeezed her eyes shut and mentally prepared herself should she need to jump out. It was a nice thought. Even as slowly as Vivek was driving, the mere thought of opening the door made Nick's dizzy. Vivek took the exit before the bridge and eventually came to a stop in front of a two-story house on a rise overlooking a marshland wildlife preserve. Large trees surrounded the property. Mr. and Mrs. Jerry currently have a foster daughter about your age. I think it will be a good fit. A normal-looking man and woman stepped onto the front porch and waved. At least they were smiling. Her new home. This couldn't be real. Nix didn't know whether to be ecstatic or terrified. She decided on terrified when she noticed Fawn watching from an upstairs window.